All right. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. I'm good. Thanks, Aiden. No one ever asks me that. <laughs> no one ever asks me that. Okay. Um, I'm a little sick right now because I got allergies, like mad. There's so much pollen and dust in the air and it's trying to kill me. So if I start coughing uncontrollably, I'm sorry. All right. If you guys don't know me, my name's Claire. Hopefully you know me. I obviously have been up on stage a lot today. Um, if you don't, my name's Claire. Welcome to ASM. Hello. 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 Um, I am very excited to be here today. I'm very excited to be talking about Esther 8 because I love this story because guess what? Esther's a girl. And I'm a girl and I love talking about women and scripture and talking about what God wants to talk about. So today we're going to talk about Esther 8. And Esther 8, it's up for debate, but I believe that Esther 8, Esther chapter 8, is one of the most important chapters in Esther. And we're going to talk about why. Um, but Esther 8 is full of plot twists. There are so many plot twists. If you don't know what a plot twist is, you should probably read a book every once in a while. Um, but a plot twist is the part of the story where everything that you thought was going to happen ends up not happening. Um, so a really good example, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Toy Story 3, um, it's a cinematic masterpiece, and I will fight you later if you disagree with me. Uh, we will, Leo? Anyway, this is a good example of a plot twist. Right now, this is the part of the story if you haven't seen it. It's so sad. This movie came out when I was like my first year of college, so all the emotions. Um, but this is the scene where the toys are in the garbage dump. They are slowly sliding towards the furnace that is going to burn them up. They've linked arms, they've closed their eyes, and they have accepted their fate of burning up. And it's so sad, and I cried at this point because I was like, they're going to die, they're going to die. And then out of nowhere, the sky opens up, this ginormous crane comes out, scoops them up, they get taken to safety, and you're like, oh, thank goodness, oh my goodness. It's the best plot twist. It's so good. Yeah, it's the claw. This is a perfect example of a plot twist. And Esther 8 is full of these kinds of plot twists. Um, we're going to be looking at some of the plot twists. And this whole time we've been asking, where is God, right? That's kind of been the question that we've been asking throughout Esther 8. And today we really get to answer that question. Um, I love this story because it's about a teenager. She's probably between the ages of 13 and 15, so she's your age. And Esther gets a ton of crap thrown at her. She just, the worst things in life happen to her. And this story is about how Esther deals with that crap, and most importantly, how God ends up writing for her and his people the best plot twist. So before we go into chapter 8, we got to look back. For those of you who have not come to ASM, what the heck, we're going to look at what the story is about. So I'm going to need your help, okay? So there are four main characters in Esther. Someone tell me, who's a character? Haman. I heard all of them. Let's start with Esther. Who is Esther? Esther. She's a human. She's a teenager. She's a Jewish person. She's a pretty good person. 
What else? What's like very important about her? She's the queen, right? All right, so in Persia, in Persia during this time, uh, Esther is one of the young women who gets taken from her home. Um, she didn't want to be taken from her home. She's a young teenage girl just like some of you. She gets taken from her home, and she is chosen to become queen. She's not a queen like we kind of think um, nowadays where she has all this power um, it must be so nice to be queen. No, she is a glorified slave. She is in this palace. She probably doesn't want to be in this palace. She's married to a man who's probably at least twice her age. Um, he uses her for sex, and he uses her because she looks pretty. That's who she is to her husband. All right? The king at this time, his name is Xerxes, or um, if you have an ESV, like Asuerus or something like that. Um, the king is the king of Persia. He is not a good guy, okay? He's actually kind of a psychopath. He is the guy who got really mad at the ocean or like the river and like started throwing chains into it and whipping it um, because he was mad at it. Yeah, so he's not like really there. Um, then we have Mordecai. Who's Mordecai? The other good guy. The other good guy. Esther's guardian, right? Esther's also an orphan. How sad. Esther's an orphan. And her cousin, Mordecai, is her guardian. Um, Mordecai is a good guy. He's also Jewish, obviously. He is an important part of Mordecai's story is that he ends up saving the king from a plot to kill, um, to assassinate the king. And he has an enemy. Mordecai doesn't really think of this guy as his enemy, but this guy, Haman, absolutely hates Mordecai. Haman is the king's right-hand man, and Haman thrives off of power and greed and just being a brat. <laughs> um, Haman gets really mad at Mordecai because what, what will Mordecai not do? Bow down. Bow down. Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. And so Haman, in a fit of jealousy and rage, decides, I'm going to kill this dude, and you know what? It's not even good enough to just kill him. I'm going to kill everyone who he could possibly be related to. So I'm going to kill all of the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. All right? So Haman, not a good dude. Um, as we enter into chapter 7, the previous chapter, Haman had sent out this law, this decree into the land that the people of Persia on a certain day were allowed to take all of the Jews' stuff and they were allowed to kill all of the Jewish people. And in chapter 7, Esther finally works up the courage, or however you want to describe it, she finally tells the king of this evil plot. And she tells the king, Haman has created this law, he's created this decree, and he's going to kill me, Mordecai, and all of my people. And so Haman ends up dying. The king gets mad, and he's like, this is not happening. I'm really mad. And he ends up killing Haman on what? On a giant spike that he built for Mordecai. And he gets impaled, and it's like, seven, it's like this gory, gory detailed thing. Anyway, that's where we are in, as we enter into chapter 8. So if you guys want to open up to chapter 8 of your Bible, I also have it on the screen, but you should also open your Bible or open your phone. I know you guys have those. 
So we're going to be looking at chapter 8. And we're going to be talking, we're going to be just walking through it. Because that's the best way to study the Bible is just walk through it. So chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day, King Xerxes gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. So here we're talking about the house of Haman. Hopefully you've never seen that awful show. What's that show called? With the houses? Garfield. No, what's that one with the winter and the... Game of Thrones. Yeah, that show's awful. Don't watch that show, okay? You're too young for that. Anyway, but a house, a house is someone's stuff and their whole family. So in Persia in that time, your house, so all of your descendants and all of your stuff, if you were deemed a traitor of Persia, all of that stuff went to the king. The king took all your stuff and all of your family, and he got to decide what he wanted to do with it. So in this case, what did he do with it? Gives it to Esther. He goes, here, Esther, go ahead and take the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Esther is like, oh, and by the way, this is my cousin. This is Mordecai. And the king's like, cool. All right. So it goes on. Verse 2. What does it say? Verse 2, it says, And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. This is plot twist number one of chapter eight. The king takes off his signet ring, which you guys remember talking about the signet ring last week? That ring symbolizes all of the king's power. The person with that ring got to stamp it into the laws and the decrees, and that showed who was making the law. And that said, whoever's making this law has the backing of the king. So the king, in this incredible plot twist, walks over to Haman's body takes the ring off of Haman's dead body and goes, here, Mordecai, you can have it, right? So in this incredible twist of fate, Haman wanted nothing more in life to have power and money. And then when he couldn't have that, he wanted nothing more than Mordecai to die. And in this plot twist, Mordecai is the one who ends up with all of Haman's stuff in charge of all of Haman's family, he becomes the person with all the power in the country to make any law he wants. And Haman is the one who ends up dying in Mordecai's place on a pole. So that's plot twist number one. But it's not over. It keeps going. In verses 3 through 6, it says, Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king out, held, out to the, uh, held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the kingdom. So we see here that Haman is dead, but the Jews are still very much in trouble. There's still this law that's gone out that says that all the people of Persia are allowed to kill the Jews. Um, not even the king is allowed to revoke that decree. And so Esther goes to the king and she pleads with him. She begs him, what, do, like, what can we do? And what she does 
is this shows Esther's um, wisdom, how smart she is for her age, because she pleads with him and she um, talks about her relationship with him. She says, if it pleases the king, if I found favor in his sight, if the thing seems right before the king, and if I am pleasing in his eyes. Esther knows that the only thing that works with this guy is how she looks. And so she is appealing to that. She also noticed never mentions the fact that the king has played a part in this, right? The king is responsible for some of this. She never says, oh, and by the way, remember when, like, you let Haman do that? She never says that. She only talks about Haman, and she only appeals to her relationship with the king. Okay, so what does the king answer? It goes on in verses 7 and 8. It's, this is what it says. Then the king Xerxes said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the Jews' ring, or the king's ring, excuse me. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So the king answers her and he says, yes, here's my ring. Go ahead and do whatever you want. So Haman had previously written a law that let the Persians do whatever they want and they could kill the Jews whenever they, uh, on a certain day. And it couldn't be revoked. And so now the king has given permission to Mordecai to write this new uh, new edict. Excuse me. So the next slide. This is a picture of Persia during uh, Queen Esther's time. You can see that Persia is not like Linwood, right? Like this is a massive amount of land. Um, like, it's part of North Africa, it's most of the Middle East, it even goes into, like, uh, parts of Europe and Asia. So this is an enormous chunk of land. And um, I think that, like, speed would be very important, right? Because the Jews are, their lives are in danger. And so we kind of see from the next couple of verses that the king... Uh, really talks about speed. He's like, I'm going to send out my fastest horses. I'm going to send out all these people on these camels, and they're going to go everywhere, and they're going to send out this letter. And so it's been about two months since Haman's letter has gone out, and now the Jews have eight months to get ready. Okay? So because of the speed of this letter that the king has put out, some of the letters that um, Haman sent out are actually going to be overtaken by Mordecai's letter. And the people of Persia are never actually going to see the letter that Haman sent out. Isn't that pretty ironic? But it goes on. So what does this letter actually say? It talks about it in verse 10 and 11. This is what Mordecai writes. He wrote in the name of, king, of the king and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and to defend their lives and to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any who might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. So Mordecai gives the Jews four instructions. He says they're supposed to band together. They're supposed to defend themselves. They're supposed to kill anyone who attacks them. 
and they're supposed to plunder or take all of their attackers' spoils. So this is plot twist number two in Esther 8. Because the Jewish people previously were going to be completely destroyed. And now they have this permission to destroy the people who attack them. And they're the ones who actually get to plunder all of the Persian stuff. Okay? So that's plot twist number two. So we have the first plot twist, which is? Haman getting murdered, right? Or not really murdered. Haman dying and Mordecai getting all of his stuff, right? Plot twist number two, all the Jews now are the ones who have permission to go out and kill their attackers and take all of their attackers' spoils. And it goes on. There's even more plot twists. The next plot twist is in verse 15. Here's what it says. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. Previously, Mordecai had been uh, honored, right? Haman had to do that and it was really humiliating for Haman. And now Haman goes out again and this time... Mordecai. Hey, Mordecai. Jared, you, did, Jared did that a bunch. Mordecai goes out, and he has even more honor. And this time, he gets to wear the colors blue and white. And blue and white are the Persian royal colors. Previously, he got to wear the Jewish royal colors, and now he gets to wear the Persian colors. That shows that he has even more power, and now he's even more important in the Persian Empire. He also gets to wear purple, which is the color of royalty. Okay, so Haman is probably like rolling over in his grave. He's like, I cannot believe this. The one thing I wanted in life, my greatest enemy Mordecai gets. So that is the second or the third plot twist, actually. And then this is how the chapter ends. And this is the most important plot twist. Verses 16 and 17. It says, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews. A feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. This is the last plot twist of the chapter. The Jews who'd been previously confused and scared and didn't know what was happening because of this edict, were now filled with joy and gladness. Haman, in a fit of jealousy and pride, goes on this murderous rampage to, de to try and destroy the Jews. And in this incredible plot twist that can only be written by God, the Jewish people end up adding more people to their numbers. And I want you guys to think about this word becoming they became Jews. They're becoming Jews. Now, this word is kind of, we're not really sure what it means because some people, some scholars, biblical scholars who are a lot smarter than me, think that word um, is talking about the fact that the people of Persia, for their own self-preservation, started becoming Jews. Okay, They were scared of what would happen to them, so they said, I'm Jewish. Yeah, believe me. Okay, Another possible interpretation of this is that the people of Persia 
because of what they'd seen happening with the Jewish people, actually became Jews because they believed. In order to become a Jew in Persia, you actually had to be circumcised. Okay? So people didn't take it lightly. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your dad. Uh, people didn't take it lightly back then. They didn't just become Jewish because they thought it was fun or they, so- they thought it sounded cool. Okay? They did it for very important reasons. And we're not really sure why, why the Persian people became Jews, but what we do know is that what Haman tried to destroy, God ends up multiplying. So this whole time we've been asking, where's God? Where is God? And without a doubt, chapter 8 of Esther answers that question. And I think sometimes we get to read the Old Testament and we get a little confused by it and we think, why is this important? Why should we read about a teenage girl from thousands of years ago who went through a terrible ordeal? Why should we read about that? Why does that matter? Why does that have anything to do with me? And the answer is in chapter 8. We read stories from the Old Testament because of chapter 8. Because chapter 8 is a story about you and it's a story about me. Because Esther points to an even bigger story. And it's in the same book that everything, all the plot twists have to do with you and with me. Um, and the, plot, the best part is that the plot twists aren't over. Not in Esther and not for us. So next week, we're going to be finding out more about what happens to the Jews. But for us, we have this book. And the biggest plot twist of all that tells us exactly what our story can be. Isaiah 61, 3a is what it says. It says that the spirit of the Lord brings good news and it bestows on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God has written for you and for me the best plot twist. He's written one where he sent his son Jesus down to earth for you and for me so that screw-ups like me and screw-ups like you who make a lot of mistakes, who have the worst future imaginable because of all the mistakes we've made, He rewrites our story and he gives us a plot twist. He gives us a plot twist that says that instead of ashes, we can have a crown of beauty. And instead of mourning, we can have the oil of joy. And instead of a spirit of despair, we can have a garment of praise. And that is the best plot twist of all. All right, we're going to pray. Father God, we thank you. Esther. We thank you for the story. We thank you for scripture that you sent this message to us. That we get to read it on a daily basis and we can just sit in your word and listen to your message. And God, I ask tonight that you soften hearts and that you open hearts. And that those students who are sitting here tonight who are thinking this has nothing to do with me, I don't care. I don't want to listen to this. That you open their hearts, you open their eyes, you open their minds. And that your message and that the story of Esther seeps into their heart and it steeps and it molds them and it changes their lives. And God, I thank you so much 
for the plot twist that you wrote for us, that you sent your son down to earth to change our story. And God, I ask that we live in light of that. And if there's someone who's not here or who is here who's never heard that story or who doesn't know what that plot twist is or who doesn't know, hasn't accepted that into their life, I ask God that you you work in them, you change their hearts, and you give them the courage to seek that out and ask questions and wonder why. Thank you. We love you, Lord. Teach us to do that better. In Jesus' name, amen.